Hello, and welcome to Beyond the Shelf, the product and packaging podcast where we interview the people behind the amazing products we use every day. I'm Laura Fodi, and today I'm thrilled to be speaking in person, live at Specray HQ with Kevin Davis. Hi. Kevin leads the packaging engineering department at Dermalogica and looks after both the innovation and sustainability for a broad line of skincare products. Dermalogica prides itself on being a leader in clean, vegan, and cruelty-free products since 1986 and aims to bolster these important components with aggressive sustainability initiatives to meet 2025 goals, which we'll talk about later. To meet these goals, Kevin and his team work to find leading technology and packaging solutions, meeting both recyclability and virgin material reduction while maintaining the prestige look of the brand. The desire is to find packaging solutions which are disruptive to the skincare industry, helping Dermalogica stand out as a leader in creating a cleaner, more sustainable future, something we all want. Prior to Dermalogica, Kevin held a variety of roles across various segments of packaging from CPG, nutraceuticals, and food. This has allowed him to gain a wide breadth of packaging experience, both in material and manufacturing, to bring a holistic approach to packaging development. He prides himself on fostering a collaborative and creative environment where everyone's ideas are heard as diverse inputs ultimately create the best solutions. I love that, Kevin. Hmm. Welcome to the podcast. Sure. Thanks. That was a mouthful. It's super impressive background. And I just have to say, we just saw each other in person at Pack Expo in Chicago. Yes. So great to be back at that show. I know. It was fun to be in person. And I haven't been to the Chicago show in quite a while. So very nice to be. It here. was packed. It was. I know. Monday, it's just crazy. You could barely get through the aisles. Yeah. It's amazing how many people. I think everybody felt the same thing. Like, haven't been to a show, need to get out. It's just packed. Yeah. There was a lot of energy there, which I'm excited about. What was your favorite part of the show? We got to see a lot of interesting suppliers that we hadn't seen, seeing some innovations. Obviously, the highlight of the show was the Ameristar Award ceremony. So that was very, very cool. But really just getting out there and being able to see some suppliers that we just hadn't had the opportunity to see. Yeah. I was going to save that for later, but you brought it up and we should talk about it. Uh, Congratulations on the Ameristar Award. Can you... Tell the audience a little bit about what that award is and what it means. Sure. It's an award given by the Institute of Packaging Professionals. Various categories. We happen to win in the sustainability category uh, for our new monomaterial pump. We have it right here. There you go. For those watching the video. Yeah. It's beautiful. Thank you. Been really cool addition to the product line from a sustainability standpoint. Just checks so many boxes. So we've been really excited about it. Obviously, really excited that we were recognized by Institute of Packaging Professionals for it. Um, Just a a really well-recognized award and really a privilege to to win. So yeah, that's amazing. And, and I think it's just great to see, you know, sustainable packaging solutions recognized. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk a little bit about why I think that's so important later. Before we dive into what you're doing at Dermalogica and how you think about uh, sustainability and packaging, can you tell the audience a little bit about your background? Sure. Uh, Started out at UW Stout. So go Stout, you know, that's Usually seems to run into people from Michigan State constantly. So I got to give a shout out to Stout. Mm -hmm. Um, And after that, went down to Tennessee and worked at Sanford, which makes Sharpie, Papermate, Uniball Expo. So spent some time with writing instruments, which was a lot of fun. And then went over to a medical device company that did wheelchairs and crutches and canes. Uh, Did that for a while and made my way over to California with Herbalife. I had a lot of fun there working on packaging and doing a lot of different things. Uh, did a brief stint in food uh, with frozen food. 
and now at Dermalogica. And so it's been a it's been a fun journey, a lot of different variety, which has been nice to learn a lot of different facets of the business um, from manufacturing to materials. So it's um, it it all kind of adds up. And now here at Dermalogica, getting to do some cool stuff. Yeah, I love that. You know, I think having so many different experiences is so important. You know, one might wonder like what packaging wheelchairs and medical devices has in common with food or nutraceuticals, but I'd imagine it gives you this different perspective that allows you to approach packaging uh, in maybe a unique way. Can you talk a little bit about that? I think the biggest thing is as you work in these different fields, it all boils down to problem solving, right? How do you package a wheelchair where every wheelchair is different? Every Everyone is custom. Everybody's body is different. So it's the problem solving that goes along with it. And I feel like that's translatable to any industry, any job in packaging is you're always trying to solve a problem with package, right? Like now it could be the viscosity and how the product comes out, the dispensing, or it could be how do you save cost or run faster a frozen burrito with wrap, right? It's always problem solving no matter how you slice it. So I think that that um, experience and, and learning the ins and outs of how to best facilitate that is what uh, is translatable across every industry. I love that. And man, if if problem solving isn't the core skill that every company needs now, especially in packaging, I don't know what is. And, and we'll talk about some of those challenges that teams of all at all companies and all industries are facing. Um, you know, can you talk a little bit about the evolution of packaging and Dermalogica? Obviously, you know, Dermalogica is a brand that really did disrupt the market when it entered many years ago and, and I think 1986. And how has packaging really evolved over the years there? Sure. I mean, I've been there for two and a half years now. Uh, I think when it started, they said it was very disruptive for the industry. It was when, you know, the first vegan, the first clean, it was there before it was, you know, really known. And so the the formulation, the efficacy is really what made an impact on the industry, right? And the packaging has always been, you know, great. I think the, the focus or the shift now uh, in the last, let's call it three and a half-ish years is, a more focus on the packaging and both from a prestige side of things and making it fit that model as, as possible, but, um, but a lot on the sustainability, right? How can we take this packaging and drive sustainability into it while not losing anything from a aesthetic point of view mm -hmm. uh, that, that maintains that prestige image and the great formula and efficacy that it has. Right. So that's, I think the, for me, uh, in my time, the biggest transition we've had is that is, is again, problem solving on how to drive sustainability mm -hmm. in a prestige world. And I think that's such a great point. It What I love as, you know, as a marketer, as someone who uses the products, it seems like such a natural extension of your brand. Mm -hmm. Because like you said, like the core DNA of the company was around you know, cruelty free, really focus on the formulation and this idea of like doing good and packaging, then packaging sustainability seems like it's actually a core value of that brand rather than this departure that yeah. a lot of companies are facing. How is that an advantage for you guys? I think there's more support around it, right? It's, as you say, it's a compliment to what we have going now. So on a, you know, the, the clean side, the vegan side at all, I think, as you said, it plays in the same arena. And so the sustainability aspect is a natural extension of that. And so there's a lot of support around it, a lot of people that want it and and back it and and see it as that important aspect to have in addition to our great formulation, which we're also working on making more sustainable, you know, sustainably sourced ingredients and things like 
things like that. There's there's active work being done on the R and D side, not just on packaging, but R and D to drive that sustainability on an already great formulation product. Oh, I love that. Um, when I was talking to you a few weeks ago, uh, I loved you were like, Hey, I'm running late. I'm on a meeting with my CEO. And I loved that because, you know, so rarely, or it seems like increasingly packaging professionals are getting visibility into the C-suite. You know, why is packaging uh, so important to your CEO? You know, he has a background of being very involved in packaging. You know, I've heard, you know, going back to his very beginning of building a brand and working on the packaging himself and it's carried through and he's, he just cares a lot about it. He knows the importance. Um, he was a big pusher push to get the packaging team in place. And it's something that he knows there's a lot of value behind and he's, he's very engaged, which is great. You know, obviously pushes us to bring things to the table that are innovative and, and disruptive and, and pushing things. But so he had something, something that he cares a lot about and, uh, yeah is like you said, he's, he's involved in that aspect of the business. Yeah. Well, a trend that I'm seeing, cause I get to talk to a lot of different folks in a lot of different industries are when you have that top down support, there's never a question of how is sustainability going to increase my cost? Because there's this understanding of top line benefits. And when you have people that have been so close to the product, they really do understand that. Um, and it can be such an asset to packaging teams to kind of give you guys permission to truly innovate and push the the limits or the boundaries of what's been done before, because the executive team really sees that value. You know, how do you balance, you know, I'm looking at this, this uh, special cleansing gel, which is, you know, is one of my favorite products. Yeah. And it's funny because I realized that as consumers, we've been a huge part of the problem. Because 10 years ago, the idea of a luxury product and a luxury skincare was something that was really shiny, really heavy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously with sustainability, that can be a challenge. How do you balance sustainability and this this luxurious feeling? Or how is that changing? It, it, it's a difficult tightrope to walk because you go too far and you're going into mastiche. You know, you go too far the other way and yeah, you're, you're, you're going against the principles of what you're trying to do. So it's finding that sweet spot, which is really, I feel like being able to leverage new technologies because a lot of the existing ones take you one way or another, where it's looking at the new technologies that are keeping you in that lane you want to be in, uh, from a prestige standpoint, but also then bringing the sustainability in. Um, and that the pump is a great example. I think there's a lot of other innovative ideas that are coming to the marketplace now that are going to help push that. Uh, but I feel like in, from what I've seen, it's something that's happening quicker now than ever in the past, as far as there's, there's been some sustainable options out there, mm-hmm. but again, it was hard to fit yeah. into prestige. Tell me about what makes this pump so special for those listening. It's fully monomaterial, so it's a full polyethylene pump. So it has a polyethylene bellow system in it versus a traditional metal spring, ball, multi-material pump. A couple of the cool aspects of it beyond being monomaterial and making this bottle fully PE is that it has this locking ring, this white ring that you see on it. Mm-hmm. So on-off ring, which is great if um, people are traveling, uh, might, you know, obviously long trip to bring that, but, uh, especially like our, uh, skin therapists, if they are throwing something in a bag and being able to shut it off and not worry about leaking is fantastic. But also, uh, this pump, if you, if you kind of see it's a little flexible, mm-hmm. 
it was designed to pass ISTA 6A, which is the Amazon test protocol. It's extremely rigorous uh, and rightly so. They test it to survive any type of small parcel distribution that it might incur. And it's it's passed. So we've tested all of ours. They pass. So, you know, pump damage, there's you know, a typical pump. It's easy to break in transit. So this is great because it gives us um, a lot more, well, a very high level of confidence in our in our distribution D to C that the pump is going to get there in one piece, which is also a sustainability story in that you're reducing the carbon footprint, right? If you send out a product, it gets there, it's damaged, they're possibly returning it or just throwing it away and we're sending out another one and you're just doubling up on that distribution, the packaging, everything. So reducing damage is another great way to reduce carbon footprint. Oh, I love that. That's something that um, Matthew, you know, our CEO at Specrate talks so much about. He's like, companies can be sustainable immediately with two two approaches. One is to do better packaging testing so that you're not, you know, products not getting thrown away that's getting damaged to the end consumer, which is what you just talked about. And the second is this idea of just making everything right the first time and, you know, having everyone be on the same page with data. So you're, you know, no suppliers making an out of date spec that then gets thrown in a landfill. And yeah. I still hear so many stories. It's heartbreaking of, of examples of that happening today. Yeah, it's easy. It's easy to happen. But, you know, one thing that we talked about is this idea of PCR. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was reading a stat recently that said 2% of all packaging. I don't remember what the what the exact one is, is um, is PCR today. And, and you were talking about how most of it ends up in a landfill anyways, which the, is heartbreaking. The packaging in general. Yeah, yeah. it is. It's a, it's a sad statistic. As you look at it, I hear different varying numbers, but let's say 89% of packaging that is recyclable ends up in a landfill. So even though folks are doing the right thing, they're putting into recycling, the infrastructure and the ability still is not there at the level that we need it. Mm-hmm. Now for the future, for, you know, no matter how you look at it, we're just throwing things in the landfill. Yeah. So. And I think that raises awareness to just the idea that this is a challenge that it takes so many people to solve. Yes. Because, yeah, brands can start to make the most sustainable packaging available. But if there's not that infrastructure in every country, every country is different. Yep. Every country is coming out with new standards of what sustainability means. How is that impacting you guys? It's hard. You know, there's there's everybody's wanting to do the right thing. But in turn, it's driving a lot of different regulations, sometimes in competition of one another. Uh, and in Europe. Right. There's not a consistent, let's say, EU regulation on a lot of the stuff that's coming out now. So you see Italy, France, Spain, the three of them just coming out with different labeling requirements that are completely different to help the consumer understand how to properly dispose of it, how to recycle, which is great, but the complexity that it adds. And then you take that to the U.S. and Washington State, New Jersey, now California signing one of the most aggressive. It's, it'll be interesting to see how those play together. Because they're all, as of right now, seem to be setting different standards and different requirements. Um, so, and then you could keep taking it, you know, UK with their 30% PCR mm-hmm. and, and then Australia, Germany having different requirements on reporting. And it's going to continue. It's not, it's not going to stop. It's only going to grow. You know what this reminds me of, you know, I think in the, um, 
you know, I don't know the exact time frame, but I want to say like 90s, early 2000s when there was this explosion of skews due to variety, mm-hmm. due to consumers wanting, you know, 20 flavors of wheat thins and a snack pack and a cheese pack and a this and a that. You're seeing the same complexity happen, but now because of sustainability and it's less about the product itself and more about the requirements of that package in different countries. And so we're going to see kind of, you know, a lot of that skew proliferation has stayed because consumers want that variety. And now we're seeing that doubled essentially because of the sustainability aspect. And, you know, obviously we talked to a lot of companies about managing data, but it's it's probably going to continue to explode the amount of data points that companies have to manage and track. Yes. Like just talking about Italy and Spain and France, how do you manage those different labeling requirements in each country, right? Without making country specific SKUs? Because as you said, it's adding complexity, cost, et cetera. But um, whether you're looking at it from a spec side on how you're tracking that and also letting the regions know what the right label is um, or just that complexity at a regional level to make sure they get the right label. So it definitely is adding a lot of complexity into the supply chain, into specs, uh, and just the work, let's say my team at Dermalogica is having to do to go through everything and review it, figure out what labeling does it need? How does it fit into these regulations? It's it's um, a big endeavor for sure to to manage all this. It reminds me of one of my, my favorite catchphrases we have here. If you get the spec right, the rest follows. <laughs> but now there's so many more specs to get right. So that's going to continue to to be a challenge. Um, you know, we we you talked about packaging challenges earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and at Pack Expo, part of why I love going to the show is I get to hear firsthand from people what they're facing every day. And and there were some that I think as a consumer are so um, they're not obvious. Like for example, I was talking to one team that was involved uh, with the, one of the COVID nineteen treatments. So like their businesses skyrocketed. Right. And I said to them, wow, like you must have gotten, you know, more team, like more team members hired. You must have gotten more funding from the business. And they were like, no. And I could, I honestly couldn't believe it. And then, you know, I talked to another company about, you know, Hey, you know, now that COVID's kind of seems to be tapering off, how's business? And they're like, Oh, well with everything going on with the Ukraine, like gas prices are insane in Europe and that's impacting you know, transportation costs and that impacts how we think about packaging. And it, it just seems like there's this relentlessness right now with world events that have made it harder than ever as a packaging professional. Um, how do you manage all of these, all of these things at once? There's always, yeah, especially now there's always these competing priorities or, or things to, to look at. Um, you know, I think we have great teams at Dermalogica to help manage that, you know, whether it be a supply chain side or um, the packaging team we have in place. But it is, you know, difficult even going back to the sustainability side to stay on top of all this. You know, from a supply chain standpoint, we're finally getting over the COVID issues of whether it's the duration of shipment, the holdups, the material shortages, things like that. Um, but there, it always seems like there's something, right? And like you said, there's always going to be something to overcome. And I mean, even as we talk about PCR, it's great. Everybody's wanting PCR. But the supply chain, the, the the amount of PCR is not endless right now. Talking about the majority of it going into the landfill, we've got to figure out a way to support that and keep it coming. So that's another big thing that's a worry for, I think, everybody in the industry is we see a lot of people, rightly so, with, with very aggressive 2025 goals for PCR, 
and looking at how to support that ongoing, mm-hmm. right? Without building the infrastructure. You talked about 2025. What's really driving that timeline? I think, uh, you know, the um, Ellen MacArthur Foundation was the big driver with that that date. And a lot of companies have um, joined that 2025 date to have aggressive goals. I mean, we're, it feels like it's upon us when you look at making changes and getting it in place. Um, that that time is shrinking mm-hmm. that window. So it'll be interesting to see once 2025 hits where it goes from there and you know, mm-hmm. what, what goals will be set out. But that's Dermalogica's date that we put in place as well to hit um, hit our goals. Yeah. It's great to see kind of the industry rallying around that mm-hmm. and to see all different kinds of organizations, you know, Sustainable Packaging Coalition, Ellen MacArthur Foundation. Um, it seems like there's a lot of, you know, organizations that are helping set that. Yeah. Um, in addition to to governments in Europe, I think that's obviously the big one where yeah. where there's dates happening there. Um, there is. And I think it's going to take, you know, it's kind of twofold. One, you have individuals, people, consumers saying, I want sustainable packaging. You have to do better. You know, I want I want to feel good about not just like, let's say, the ingredients that are in my product, but I want to feel good about the packaging that I'm buying. So you have consumers pushing this on one side and then you have government on the other side saying, you know, extended producer responsibility is a great example. You're putting this plastic in, you're going to help offset it financially to recoup it, to, to recycle it, to, to manage it. Um, you know, California's law being the biggest to come into play thus far in the U S but certainly in Europe, the extended producer responsibility is nothing new. And so you are seeing a push on both sides, which is forcing companies to take a stronger look at it because you can't just stick your head in the sand anymore on sustainability. It's, it's, um, we like to say, at least for us, it's, it's, it's going to become the price of admission, right? If you don't have a sustainable story around your packaging, consumers are going to make buying decisions that are different. And there was a recent article and it was, um, well, I believe it was something like 87% of uh, skincare buyers are making conscious buying decisions based on sustainability aspects of the product. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a staggering number when you look at it. And it, again, it's forcing companies to take a very strong look at what they're doing. Yeah. And I think too, some of what retailers are doing, like I think about the Sephora, mm-hmm. you know, labeling of, um, and, and having lists of ingredients they, they no longer want in their stores. It's, it's just fascinating to see this confluence of energy around the topic. And I think that is such an, it's definitely a challenge, but it's also an opportunity because, you know, I've been, you know, in and around the packaging industry for four years now. And I think four years ago, a lot of the people I talked to wanted to do sustainable packaging, but didn't have the support from leadership to, you know, increase the cost of goods. Right. Um, and now I think there's an understanding that, you have to do this. Like you said, it's the price of admission. It's no longer a nice to have. It's a, it's a need to have, you know, one of the things that I'm looking at is you talked about EPR and I think the number, the number is changing every day, but there's over 500 different schemes. I think right now I I said 300 and someone just said it was 500 now. So I can't, I can't, it's an insane amount. uh, That's for sure. Um, How do you think about future proofing your packaging? You know, how do you think about not just packaging for, for what today is, but what, what tomorrow is. It's difficult. I mean, we've spent a lot of time talking about the different regulations and the disparity between them and the, uh, whether it's Europe or the United States and, and the different states within it, it's hard. You know, how do you future proof? Because you really don't know when the next shoe is going to fall. What, what is that? What is that going to be? Are they going to take it from 30% to 50% PCR? Um, 
without when it, as it relates to charges for it. Um, so I think where we're just trying to do is do as much as we can, right? We're, we're designing everything to be recycle ready, right? Even though the infrastructure isn't there for certain items, things below two inches by two inches, tubes, et cetera, we're doing our best to say when that infrastructure is there, we're ready with our packaging. Uh, we're pushing the limits on PCR where we can to say, you know, we're, we're going to, we know the rule in a lot of places of 30% or that seems, you know, UK, but others kind of looking, eyeing that number. So we're going to make sure we're there. So it's, I think when you talk about future proofing, it's doing the best you can right now to make your packaging recycle ready. And then also doing what you can to add in things like PCR, bio-based resins, or, or various aspects to reduce the, you know, the oil-based and get to something that's more circular. It's, it's diff there's, there's no, there's no formula. There's no, you know, here it is, you know, and mm -hmm. detailed out and, you know, 10 bullet points. Here's how you be sustainable. It's, it's, yeah. it's a really difficult thing to navigate. I think what we're going to see more of is the rate of change of packaging solutions at companies. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't have any data on this, but I mean, you've been in the industry 10 years ago. I bet how often did your packaging change? Right. No, I, I agree. I, I, you said it. I mean, companies now are willing to invest more than they ever have been. You know, there's the kind of understanding that it's difficult a lot of times to have a sustainable option that doesn't have some cost impact. I mean, you know, it's great when you can find one that there's a cost reduction, right? That's, mm -hmm. a, that's a huge win. But, um, you know, when you say I'm going to add PCR to this bottle that right now has a virgin resin, inevitably there is some cost increase to do that. And, but yes, companies are, are much more willing to understand the benefits or the need to do that. Yeah, absolutely. It reminds me of, a, of of this catchphrase we have from Matthew. You can't be sustainable without data. So when he was at a, at Pack Expo, he did a talk about reducing packaging costs while driving sustainability. And mm -hmm. I think that's a great point. You know, one of the things I'm really passionate about is this idea of rationalizing at the component level rather than the SKU level and how can companies look holistically at their product lines, you know, looking at secondary and, and tertiary packaging and how can you rationalize there and get more things on trucks. I mean, there's ways to take cost out that don't impact the packaging that is the product. Yeah. Um, but that takes more creativity. It takes more analysis and it, it takes more data, um, which obviously it can be a challenge for some companies. Yes. And, you know, when you look at everybody's, you know, you talked about small teams, things like that and to go, Hey, let's, let's look at all of our packaging or our pallet configurations and see if we can optimize. Even that is a task, but then you get that work and now you're saying, okay, now let's resize all these shippers, right? Let's resize all these cartons that, that snowball from there is it's a lot of effort and work and change and management to even do something that might seem like a, the most basic thing to take a look at and make sure you're optimizing your distribution. Inevitably it drives a huge trail of, of work that needs to be done to implement it. So, yeah. And, yeah. and part of what we're looking at at Specrate is how do we create this data flow that allows you to seamlessly mm -hmm. execute on those activities? You know, whether it's managing the specs, 
doing palette optimization with something like Tops, doing test ISTA testing with PackSite. In, in our minds, it's the more you can use this data, the more actionable these things can become. Because mm -hmm. um, all of us know that these are the ways you can reduce costs. But it, to your point, it's so hard to execute on those ideas. And so that's something that really excites me. Well, just sorry, yeah. one thing to add there. Um, as you talk about spec, right, as you talk about uh, Tops, you mentioned earlier doing it right the first time. And that plays into it a lot as you have a system versus kind of just doing everything more one-off or doing it on Excel sheets or not having that systematic process. It opens a door to not optimize. But, you know, when we, we've seen now having something more formalized, you can get it right a lot easier. So, okay, I have tops integrated. I know that I'm optimizing the palette now and it's, it's there easily accessible. So it helps push that first time right where you're not having to go back and work on things a second or third time and using up those limited resources that you have. A hundred percent. And I think this idea that you mentioned earlier of bringing optimization into the development mm -hmm. process is so important. You know, so much of optimization was done after the fact, the packaging was designed, then you looked at how to optimize it, or, um, you know, the formula was designed and then you looked at how to make it more sustainable. But with all the tools at our disposal, I think companies have the ability to really simulate different options and make the best decision, which has, you know, the effect of going into market with that best solution the first time is going to have a ripple effect. Absolutely. Where do you see the, you know, the future of innovation for, for beauty products in particular? It's, it's one of my favorite industries. Yeah. Well, the easy answer is sustainable options, right? It's such a diverse arena, right? And I mean, honestly, I, you know, I mean, even though it's a simple answer, I think that's the focus, right? Mm -hmm. sustainable, sustainable options. And I think it's going to, you see a lot of people doing a lot of different things. And, and maybe within that, a more finite answer would be, refill reusable packaging that's probably i guess if i were to to look at it that's that's the biggest one because you're going to see sephora and alta and folks like that pushing that initiative more you know i was i was listening to a some or a, i was at a conference and credo spoke and that was basically the entire topic about consumers pushing wanting um, you know in their industry in their business this refill reusable packaging and so it's definitely going to be a push. I think that probably if you if you move beyond just sustainability in the sense of PCR or design optimization, that refill concept, I think, will be the biggest, biggest piece that's coming down the road, which in and of itself is a difficult thing to figure out how to manage. And mm -hmm. we talked about skew proliferation and, you know, what makes sense from a volume standpoint. And you get into a lot of complexities with that. But that said, I think that will probably be one of the bigger ones that you know, is, is probably more accepted or, or is prevalent in the EU, not in beauty, but in just in general of, of refill reuse and the U S probably a little bit more difficult of a transition for folks to start making, but you're definitely seeing it happen. I think in beauty, a lot of the indie or, or new startups, they're immediately going into packaging that's refill. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's just, you're, you're seeing that a lot more. And I think that's going to be the big push from retailers as well. I love that. I, you know, one if I could make a prediction too, I think you're going to see more marketing and storytelling around packaging. Mm -hmm. And I try not to give free marketing advice too much, but if, you know, if you're a packaging person working on these things, making sure you're walking down the hall and, and telling your marketing teams about why this matters, I think we're going to see more companies lead with that in their marketing and messaging. 
And if I think about like a similar advertising moment that led to a huge change in the industry, I think of the Dove Beauty mm-hmm. when they redefined beauty and, and stopped mm-hmm. using models and started using real people sure. of all backgrounds. And that had such a ripple effect on the industry where you did see more, you know, real people in advertisements and commercials. I think there's going to be a company that really plants its flag on sustainability and educates the consumer mm-hmm. on why that's important. Because like you said, there's, there's so much of a story here that I, even I, who am close to packaging don't even know. And I think once consumers can start to understand that it's going to further affect their choices. And I think there's going to be a lot more companies that are leading with that story. Agree. I mean, we're definitely on our website, educating the consumer, whether it's how to recycle our products, you know, we're educating about, Hey, and you probably didn't realize that traditional pumps have a metal spring and are multi-material and they're not recyclable, right? Little things like that, but it is, it's, it's definitely something that companies are getting behind. I feel like, you know, go to a lot of folks' websites now and there's a tab for sustainability. What are we doing? How are we doing it? What is our, what does that mean for our products, our packaging, et cetera? So I know we're, we're certainly pushing that and doing that as well, but it's, um, as you say, it's, it's certainly going to be part of the marketing because, like I said, 87% of buyers are making conscious buying decisions based on packaging. You can't have one without the other. Right? I mean, it's it's going to be part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so now this is my favorite segment. You know, we'll do some rapid fire. Kevin, what's your favorite product right now? Within our company? It, it can be whatever you want. My favorite product. Well, the job super concert. cheesy. Uh, it's really great. Yeah. I mean, I'll plug it for people too. I, it's in my shower right now, the one that's even bigger. Okay. And this is one of my favorite products. Yeah, it's very, it's a great product. Um, you know, I think uh, our daily microfoliant is also a really good product. So I'll plug Derm with this question. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of good, good products, but I use that daily. So I one of my it. favorite. And, and, you know, just to come full circle on the prestige and PCR conversation, you know, I have multiple cleansers because like every woman, I have like a hundred skincare products at one time. And I think this looks better than the other product that I have on my shelf. And to me, that was when I knew you guys had nailed it mm-hmm. because it it's more sustainable than the other product and it looks better and it feels heavy duty. Yeah. And so I, I, to me, that was just... You guys really nailed it. And I think the Ameristar Award, you know, really solidifies that. Now we'll do Kill, Keep or Change. So I have a list of random products right, that my team's done. I have no idea what these are. You have to keep one, kill one, change one. Um, so here we go. The first one is, <laughs> do you see this? Yeah. Jalapeno poppers. Okay. okay. This is a tough one. It is football season. So I feel like those are being right. nail clippers. Oh my gosh. Hmm. All right. And then <laughs> refried beans. All right. I mean, this may be tough or easy, depending on how much you like these things. Right. Jalapeno poppers, no clippers, refried beans. What do you kill, keep, or change? I'm going to go refried beans with the kill. Yeah. Yeah. I can do without it. <laughs> keep? Let's go. I mean, I feel like nail clippers, you know, those are pretty important. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, you got to have those. Switching up to nail files, I guess, if you got rid of that one, but... Jalapeno poppers. I mean, what, what do you think? Change, add bacon into them. Oh, I love that. You know, you really can't go wrong by adding bacon to anything. No, no. Yeah. You get the nice ones that uh, the store makes. Oh, yeah. You have the bacon in them. 
Can't get that in the frozen ones, I don't think. All right. Now I'm hungry. Any- I'm with you on the refried beans, though. Uh, well, Kevin, thank you so much for joining us. How can people learn more about what you guys are doing at Dermalogica? Well, right off the bat, go to the website, check it out. Um, we got, a, you know, adding a lot of stuff to it. You know, I always have all of our products, our sustainability information. So um, that's a great place to learn about Dermalogica and what we're doing. Um, certainly active on LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, TikTok, et cetera, to learn more about the products. So um, if anybody's interested, highly recommend you go there and find out some information about our great products. Awesome. I love that. And for those listening, if you like this episode, be sure to rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Kevin, thanks for joining us Beyond the Shelf. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. Beyond the Shelf is presented by Specrite, the first cloud-based platform for specification management. Say goodbye to spreadsheets, share drives, and legacy systems, and digitize your specs in a secure single source of truth. With Specrite, you can easily share and collaborate on specs with other departments and across your entire supply chain network. Taking a spec-first approach enables you to accelerate product and packaging development, go to bid faster, report on sustainability, and ultimately spend less time chasing data and more time making amazing things. To learn more, visit specrite.com. That's S-P-E-C-R-I-G-H-T.com.